Uh, and they were like, you have another sister that you don't know about. You have a secret sister. Uh, I've been dressed in pink leotards and a diaper doing 30 singing telegrams in February in Chicago. The only person who was there was John Houseman, who was the founder of the school. And um, now you're a Disney princess, is that right? Am I, am I phrasing that correctly? That's absolutely right. And that's another wish I had. So the universe, you know, gives you what you want in mysterious ways. Love, love, love. Oh, love wins, love wins. No, because love is conditional. Because love is based on the contingency that you can accept that person for whoever. I mean, it's, it's about forgiveness. Right. That's what America needs to find. Yeah. It ain't love. Because I, I don't know if you know this, but I think very few of us in the world have found a dead body. Probably not, and probably right. not under the circumstances <laughs> that I found it. <laughs> sure. So what was the deal? Uh, Join us for all this and more on At the Elephants with Rob Morris, available now on YouTube and iTunes podcasts. Share, like, subscribe now. Come on, get to it. Do it. You know you want to. I'm me. The commissary says I better get used to the... Hello, everybody, and welcome to At the Elephants. I'm your host, Rob Morris, and what a show. What a show for you today. Mary Irwin, it's going to be great. She's an incredible individual, and we had a really great conversation. We discussed, uh, I'll go ahead and tell you the big announcement is that she is uh, currently in the middle of her last full-time year teaching at school. Um, I'll let her explain it better for you in just a couple of moments. What else? Still having trouble with the iTunes feed for some reason. Um, so YouTube is the way to hear this, unfortunately, just for right now, until we can get that back up. Those of you who are tuning in to hear this episode, uh, please go back and check out the other episodes if you haven't seen them already. Dave Thomas Brown and I just had a great chat. Joe Mills, Dean Wilcox, Bob Francisconi, Greg Walter, Robbie Lutfi, uh, Jacoby Howard. Had some fantastic guests already this season, and there's a lot more to come, so... Uh, enjoy this conversation that I had with Mary. With that being said, let's get right to it. So where are you from, Mary? Um, where am I from? I am from, I grew up in a town called Montvale, New Jersey, which is northern New Jersey, very suburban, about 30, 35 miles northwest of New York City. Um, the interesting thing, though, about my childhood was that even though I grew up in New Jersey, my parents were Texans. Interesting. So, you know, they were transplants. So what brought them from Texas? They both lived in Texas, they knew each other. They grew up in Texas. Well, they, they didn't know each other. They, were, they met... In their in their twenties, um, pre World War Two, mm-hmm. my mother was teaching school, shockingly, <laughs> and my father was actually working on oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico. Gotcha. And uh, my mother was teaching school in a tiny little town called Grapeland in Texas. And Where is that? It, 
All of this happened in sort of central and east Texas. Gotcha. Um, in between San Antonio and Houston-ish along the coast? No, 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 no. Central more. My mother grew up in Dawson, which is nearer to um, Waco, right. which some people call Waco. Sure. Which <laughs> I will get Fairly. in trouble for saying. Um, uh, but no, more East Tech, closer to Louisiana, sure. kind of that area. Yeah. And yeah, then down into the Houston area, but not as far west as San Antonio. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, so my dad was there on leave from the offshore oil rig and they met and they dated and then they were they wrote letters all during World War II and sort of delayed their marriage they were finally married in 1947 and then my father had been in the Army Corps of Engineers during World War II and um, basically became an engineer um, and got a job at a place in Rockland County which is New York State, just uh-huh. over the border from where I grew up, and uh, so he and my mother went up there shortly after they were married in 1947, and my brother and I came along some years later. Now, when I moved to New York in high school from Texas, uh, which was really the first time I had spent any significant time aware there, um, it was so strange being from Texas in New York yeah. and in that region. Yeah. What was it like to be a second, well, a first generation yeah. immigrant I from mean, Texas? You know, I'm. <laughs> it was interesting because, of course, I'm not a Texan. I'm right. a child of Texans. Sure. And second generation immigrant. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, first generation. You were right before. Um, my, the neighborhood where we grew up. This was in the 50s and early 60s, and there had been a mass exodus from New York City. And so I grew up with a lot of kids whose families were, you know, who were maybe second generation Italian, Irish, Polish, right. sort of all kinds of things. And um, I remember one day in high school, my friend Julie thought it was hilarious, and a bunch of us were standing around, and the game was, what are you? You know, <laughs> what are you? Where? And and uh, they got to me, and I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't know what I am. And Julie said, you're Texan. And and so in a weird way, there, there were um, a lot of kids went home to a culture that existed in the home that didn't necessarily exist in the wider world. Right. But I will say that a lot of my friends were very, and this is a story that I've told in class a lot, a lot of my friends were very charmed by my mother's southern accent, mm. and my father completely unconsciously toned his way down because he was in business. Right. And it, you know, there was a lot Was that of, the first time you noticed somebody doing that? Because that's a big part of what yeah. you talk about. Yeah, I probably first time probably, that you. Yeah. When do you think you realized that he had that it happened? You probably didn't. Notice. I realized it. No, I remember exactly when I realized it. I think I was about ten or twelve years old, and my father had a younger brother who was ten years younger. But they looked very much alike. They were both six four, and and my uncle Bill sounded exactly like my father except with a really strong Texas accent 
And so when I heard them together like on a mark. summer visit, at first I thought my dad, my dad had, you know, stayed in New York working and we were down visiting family. And right. I heard my uncle when I was still asleep in the morning and I thought my father had arrived and I like leapt out of bed and ran out into the living room and was disappointed to see that it was my uncle because the right. timbre of their voices and everything was so similar. So it was that summer that right. I realized. Like, and he speaks differently for work. Yep. And that's got to be what it is. Yep. Do you speak the same way that you spoke when you were growing up? Has your voice changed for work? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. My voice changes all the time for work. And right. In response to whatever whatever the need is or whatever the... Sure. the the project is. You told um, me once, I think, in class that you had like a pretty strong no, accent I, when I you were younger. Didn't have, I didn't no? have a really strong Jersey. You didn't have the Jersey accent. thing? I mean I had some and I right. still have some, but sure. but it was never very strong. Um, but it was there. It was sure. there and it still is there. And right. you know, I love it. If I fly into Newark Airport and I start to hear things on the loudspeakers it I smile. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> So, um, what did you do for fun when you were younger? That's something I've always wondered about you. What Just in I your spare time. It was something I, I was asked younger. Bob recently, and I never really asked anybody that question before. But it, it occurred to me, I was like, I spent so much time playing with Bob. So I was like, what did you do when you were a little kid, when yeah, you just went out and played? That's a great question. What did Bob do for fun when he was younger? Oh, well, he... I didn't listen to your interview with him. Well, you right? can listen to it, but among other things, he would go fishing and find dead bodies and all sorts of crazy oh my God. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it was pretty nuts. That's an interesting story, I'm sure. Yeah, he'll tell um, you. What did I do? Well, when I was little, again, in this in this neighborhood that I grew up in, there were... Just, and you know, this is post-World War II, baby boom was in full swing. There were a ton of kids, and we, and there weren't fences, and there weren't shrubs between most of the yards, and we would just run and play. I remember we used to play capture the flag across three yards, you know, and um, I remember being outside a lot. I remember loving to do things like, I suppose, I don't know, is this mildly cruel, put lightning bugs in jars in the summer? And <laughs> no, that's, I think that's fairly innocent. Um, you and, also get to, you also get the curve of the time frame. Yeah, We're that's right. We're a little more that's reasonable right. about that. And, um, I don't know, I, uh, I remember the area was a lot less built up, so I remember that we would you know, we would just kind of run around and ride our bikes, and there was a lot of, and this is something that, that does make me sad for for kids now. There was a lot of unsupervised, free, outdoor, imaginative play. I remember a good deal of that, and yeah. I think I'm at the very tail end of that experience. When people still felt like that was safe. And, yeah, yeah, because I feel like by the time I was in high school, I looked down and kids weren't doing that right. anymore. But when right. I was younger, it was a lot of, I mean, we still, that was still like landlines and internet was rare and, you know, it was at the t- tail yeah, end of that. exactly. But I do think, yeah, that's a very specific experience mm-hmm. that a lot of kids mm-hmm. might be missing out on. Yeah. For yeah. sure. What do you think that that 
what do you think it is that that takes away from us when we don't have that? What do we get from that experience of of being just out in the world, I letting our minds things. I think go. two things, yeah, that's one. I think letting our minds go and, and um, nourishment of the imagination. Right. Um, and I also think self-reliance. Yeah, learn how to take care of yourself you a little know, bit. And like everybody's, I don't know, I remember that we were all called home in different ways. Some, my, mother had a, my mother had a bell. Oh, um, nice. Some people's mothers would whistle, and, and some people would just get out on the porch and yell for their kids. And, right. And uh, my brother and I would, you know, we'd go outside for a couple hours, and when we heard the bell, we would go home. Right. And, yeah, so there was, there was a freedom in that that I think was very good for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so just one brother? Yep, one brother, two years older. Yep. What does he do? Ha <laughs> um, My my brother is my brother and I sort of split the world in half. My brother is a computer engineer. He designs programs for Boeing, which he's done for thirty some odd years. He writes code. He does all kinds of things. I can't even begin to understand, and I do all kinds of things he can't even begin to understand. Right. That works out. So, yeah. You close? In a way. Which yeah. way? No, I mean... If you don't mind me asking. Only because, because our worlds are very different. Of course. But, yeah, I you mean... You see each other holidays? We see each other, not necessarily holidays, because they... No, no, it's more like... We, we kind of, and since our parents have died, mm-hmm. we make an effort to make sure that we spend some time together once a year. And I have two nephews That's great. who are both grown. And um, yeah, and so, but we, we do have to, because this is a big country as right. opposed to my husband's country, we have to make an effort to see each other, but we do. Right. You know? That's good. Yeah. How long has that been now? Since I saw my brother? Actually, yeah. well, actually, my brother and my oldest nephew were here for fall break, so it's been a few weeks. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned your husband, this guy. This What's guy? his name? What's his name? Ben. Ben something? Ben Fury, yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, my wonderful, brilliant husband. So, where'd you meet Ben? I met Ben in graduate school in London at the Central School of Speech and Drama, as it was then. And just like NCSA became UNCSA, the Central School of Speech and Drama has since become the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Mm. So they, like, we got a U, my other we, we got an R sure. to go in front of, yeah. Yes. What a, I gotta say, what a drag in comparison. University does not sound as nice as Quite Royal. Quite as snazzy as Royal. It really yeah. is flashy. But it's the same kind of thing, you know. It's I don't an think we would have fought it so much. <laughs> If it had been Royal North Carolina School of the Arts. Funny. Maybe maybe that would have been more accepted. Could have. So you met in grad school. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long before I, you didn't meet and immediately get married? No, indeed. We met... Um, <laughs> Some people do that. That's true. But that's as true. I understand it, no, that's we not did your not story. Do that. We did not do that. We met in 1994... And we got married in the summer of 1998. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Were you here yet when you got married? Or oh, yeah. Here? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was fortunate enough. Barney Hammond, who's now come back 
has come back to Winston-Salem and is doing some work again with uh, fourth years, was the head of voice and speech at the time and had done the voice studies course at Central some years earlier. And um, when they started looking for somebody, um, Barney got in touch with David Carey, who was the head of the voice course when Ben and I were students. And long story short, Barney kind of headhunted me and brought me here and I interviewed for the position and so I was fortunate enough to have a job before I finished grad school waiting for me. Nice. Which was really nice, yeah. And you've had that job or some Some version of, of that, that job. job. Some evolution is that's evolution is a good word for yeah, this is twenty one years. Wow. That's fantastic. Just terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying, but it's also just pretty damn impressive. Huh. I gotta say that because I feel like especially I mean, the, the teachers at this school across the board, you have to have a working artist in you. You can't just be a teacher right. to teach here. Right. So to, and of someone like you, and then even someone like Bob, who has clearly that inside of them and is always there, to stay at a place for so long, there has to be something absolutely magnetic. Well, um... It's interesting. I remember when I first came here, people said to me, you know, people don't leave School of the Arts. <laughs> and I thought, that's interesting. I'll see. Um, and when Barney got in touch with me, I had heard of the school. Um, I didn't know that much about it. I knew that it had a good reputation, but I didn't know that much about it. And in my thought, because, you know, Ben was far away, he was going to go and teach in Dublin, we weren't sure what was going to happen. I thought, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stay there four or five years. Um, so, you know, Gerald was here. I was, I was the first full-time faculty member that Gerald hired. Um, How long had he been here? Three or four at years? At that point, something like that. I'm not yeah. sure exactly the number of years, but it was something like, right. th I think three years, I think maybe, that, you know, you Robert would know that, of course, sure. much better than I because it was his life. But um, uh, and so, working with Gerald, working with the rest of the faculty, and working with the quality of students that you all are, it's um, it gets in your blood, and so certainly it makes one want to stay. Yeah. Um, and Ben and I were lucky that things worked out so that he was able to be here for nine years. And now, of course, he's been um, doing a lot more freelance work. All over the place. All over the place, but mostly now in New York. Right. And, yeah. And um, so what that means is 21 years is going to be... This will be my last full-time year. This is going to be your last year at the school. My last full-time full year. As a full-time teacher. Yep. And then, so what, do you, yep. what does that mean then? And then what that means is I'm going to... I used Kristen Linklater as my model for what would happen. She... Ugh. Yeah, what a terrible model. <laughs> Mentor Set your role standards model. somewhere, Mary. Um, when, when, Kristen, when Kristen was sort of phasing out of Columbia... She was there for one semester a year for four or five years. And so that's what 
Carl and I have been talking about, and that's hopefully what the plan will be. I'll be, I'll be here in the fall, and I'm just going to teach Shakespeare to the third years. So which classes, to catch everybody up, does that mean you're not going to be teaching So it means I won't do the second year Linklater voice class, and we haven't Oof, worked out exactly what's going to happen to that, but um, but we're in the process of figuring that of out. And, uh, and the, the fourth year warm-up class mm-hmm. um, may go the way of all things. And, uh, yeah, and all the administrative stuff I will pass on to others. So where, I mean, I don't think any decision like this is ever simple or comes from one place, but, I mean, can you speak to where it comes from, other than just 21 uh, being a lucky number? It No, it comes from two things. Um, ben and I have been dealing with long distance again for five years, and we're very tired of it. I can understand And we're not willing to do it anymore. Sure. And that's the primary reason. Right. Um, and... Also, though, to be completely honest, I'm getting older, and the amount of work and the numbers of hours gets on top of me more than it used to. Um, So that's where it comes from. Absolutely no shame in that. I can't understand how the, the teachers, especially those of us who were here, you know, in the last few years and really in the tail end of everything that Gerald put together in his time here. Um, the 14-hour days yeah. that you guys do. I mean, you and Molly and Bob and Matt and these these people have been here forever. It's like, how were, you know, we were in, in Not quite forever, awe. but nonetheless. You know what I mean. In <laughs> I comparison do. to our short time yeah, here, no, it, yeah. it feels yeah. like, you know, you go and you do your Bob class two days a week. And he does two a day. Exactly. exactly. And, you know, that volume, just to think about. Now, to be fair, when he's not doing a show, he doesn't eventually get to go home. But, you know, the it's just insane. And, and to think of you doing it for as long as you've yeah. done it. What do you think it is that keeps you going when it's... Oh, it's... Um, I was actually talking about this with somebody earlier. The, the work is healing and the work is energizing. Um... I've felt that way about Linklater voice work since I encountered it in my 20s. It is inspiring, um, and it is physically healing. Right. um, Incredibly engaging, and I feel very used and challenged creatively when I... I'm in the middle of a Shakespeare class or, or figuring out a problem in a rehearsal. So it's, uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds like a hokey word, but I can't think of a better one. But it's, it is very rewarding, and it's a different kind of creative fulfillment than acting. It's sort of right. the same, only different. Absolutely. And, Yeah. I feel like, and I, I'm not as familiar with your earlier time here, because you know I wasn't here and stuff. Indeed. But um, but I've seen you, I've seen you doing some more acting in the last few years, and you've directed recently. And is that a newer thing for you? Well, the the directing was Carl's idea, right? At which he, um, you know, and I was very reluctant about. I, I he thought I it would really be a good plan, it. and and I have to say that he was right that um, I and he 
by challenging me with that Carol Churchill piece mm. um, and, you know, giving me the lovely Elizabeth Lale and Miles Duffield to work with, who you know, both so wonderful and open as actors. Um, I, you know, I always, I always used to say that I was the only person in the theater who didn't secretly want to be a director. And so... <laughs> Uh, and I enjoyed now you've it. been outed as I en- not that I person. enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And then last year, I did um, the Love's Labors piece, the second-year Shakespeare with the, the second-year students who were in Guys and Dolls, and I had right. a good time doing that as well. I don't think that that's something that I'll continue to pursue, though. But, it was, but he was right to push me in that direction sure. and to challenge me. Grateful and for I the enjoy- experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, more acting, though, again, is definitely part of... I, I, I want, in this next phase of my life, to have a better work-life balance. It's great when I don't have to ask the next question that's in my head and you just start talking about it. And I just knew it. what it was. Yeah. Yeah. You go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I do that sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it's to have a better work-life balance and... And as I was saying, you know, teaching is, teaching and coaching are incredibly creative activities for me and very satisfying. And I love working with and helping to grow all of you gifted students. Um, and there's a whole different set of creative challenges and satisfactions that are involved for me as an actor when I get to go back and act some more. Right. So, do you have particular things that you'd be interested in, or is that really kind of a too far in the future to think about things? Um, I, you know, I would love. There's some Shakespeare characters that I'm still interested in playing. I would love to play Amelia mm. in Othello. Um, there are a lot that I'm I'm too old to play now. Oh well. Oh, uh, that's okay. There, there's still plenty, um, and uh, you know, so many. Um, and in terms of other material, just things that are interesting and chewy, and yeah. Right. Yeah. What's Ben up to? Right now. Yeah. Um, let's see, Ben. Uh, is actually back teaching this fall at Juilliard um, and he's enjoying that. That's the first time in four or five years that he's been doing any teaching at a school. Wow. He's still working on the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. And Don't we have, know somebody in we that? We do know somebody in that and it's really quite lovely that Ben and Tyler Tyler Lee are working together again, mm-hmm. and he's also just um, finished working with Lucas Hall because Lucas is one of the understudies in Charles III, Great. which has come over from England, and Ben is um, doing dialect coaching for the American understudies because they've brought the British company over. He just finished Cloud Nine at the Atlantic Theatre Company, and he's about to go down to Palm Beach Drama Works and do the History Boys, and so he's got stuff. Oh, and he's still doing Matilda, that oh, right. little piece. 
so good because all these shows just keep going you see he's got all these different things to bounce around yeah. to that's pretty yeah. great yeah. you ever want to move to England um, we talk about it it's yeah. certainly possible it might happen it seems like you'd be so happy there I um, don't know why I I it's loved, very presumptuous of me no but. no I loved living in England and my husband has been living in my country for right that's kind of what I was thinking almost 20 years and I loved my time living over there and uh it is entirely possible. And you're not retiring to sit around the house like I'm, many people dream to do one yeah, day. Yeah, no, no. And I'm, I'm not retiring. I mean, I'm, right. I'll am i be here one semester a year, and then I'll be doing other things and and um, probably still some teaching, but not as much. Um, and, yeah, it's to me what it feels like is... Uh, there's this lovely phrase, which I really like, which I'm 60 now, and um, I think Jane Fonda actually was the first time I read this, was reading her memoir, talking about the idea of the last third of life beginning at 60. Mm. And, and I've done a lot of thinking about what do I want this last third to look like. You know, the second third, not all of it, but a lot of it has been my time here mm -hmm. um, which was yeah very very satisfying and I'm talking about it like it's over and it's not but it's shifting and changing sure and um, yeah it's just it's it's time to move into a different phase that's great that's and really yeah great. the world is still very big and Ben and I have a lot of ideas also about traveling and things like that anything on your hit list that's like got to do this Australia, New Zealand is yeah, that's on mine too. First big one. What makes you want to go there? I almost can't describe it, and you know more about it than I do. I'm I mean, sure. we we know quite a few people from Australia, mostly people that we've met through work, um, right? Other voice teachers and actors and people, and things that we've heard are just very compelling, and. Um, uh, People talk about New Zealand as being one of the most physically stunning places on the face of the earth. Yeah. And um, culturally, I'm fascinated by both places and and their relationship to the indigenous cultures there. And so there are a ton of reasons. But what right. we have to do that's not so easy is find like a month yeah. where we because it's a very long plane ride, right. and once we get there, we need to have time to stay there, which yeah, that's might not true. be so easy. You can't just go there for the weekend, yeah. not at all. Would not Spend work. the weekend getting there and back. Um, <laughs> one thing that I, I have been thinking about lately when I was thinking about talking to you was, what have you noticed as any changing trends in the student body over your time here? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Because you know the um, classes you know, kind of fit in their little categories and somehow yeah. you get a tone over the group. But I feel like, you know, if there's any kind of... Yeah. One, two thing, decades. one thing that is very different is um, students are younger, literally younger. When I was first here, there were more people who were returning students. Hmm. And now there are still a few here and there, but it's more unusual. So Fresh out of high school. Yeah. Mostly now. Yeah, and there there were more students, people who would perhaps have gotten a degree elsewhere and then decided that they wanted to come here and train as an actor and 
be 24, 25, 26, 27 when they began. Right. And um, like Quinn, you know, that was Quinn's situation. And you, of course. And yeah. And so people in the directing program, and right. we'll still see it occasionally in the directing program, but there was much more of that. And but now they're freshman directors. Now they're freshman directors. So the that's right. times they are changing. That's right, indeed. So that's a big change. Um, what else do I see as changes? There are changes. I don't know. I hesitate to make generalizations, though. Sure. Um, but I think anything that you see in the students here is also a reflection yeah, of just yeah. the, the generation in well, general. Well, and I think it's kind of what you were saying earlier. We are in the internet era we are in the beginning of something new that we yeah. don't understand at all and um that's what I when think. i was here the faculty when i first arrived the faculty didn't have computers we didn't have email addresses none of none of that existed i remember that when i came back from england mm -hmm. um in 1995 to begin my job in late summer I turned on the television, I hadn't seen American television in a long time, and all of a sudden there was this thing, I had no idea what it was, it said www dot something or other, I was like, what the hell is that? So, you know, so that's a, a huge change, and... Right. Um, how does it affect the student life at this school? Like, how is it different to be a student I have here, to tell think? them that they can't use their, their phone or their iPod pad thing, whatever, <laughs> in Shakespeare class. I'm not going to fix that. No, you're I'm not. I, no, I didn't think you would. I didn't think you would be that kind to me, Rob. Um, uh, you know, you can't look at the text on a screen. Right. You need a piece of paper and a pencil. Right. Because it really hasn't, you know, in most places, I work at a school now uh, in High Point, and technology helps us do so many yeah. things. But in yeah. drama school, uh, there's some stuff yeah, that's beneficial. The, the research that you're able to do is amazing, and there's some Absolutely. things. But for the most part, it doesn't, you know, most of the raw stuff that you teach in class or that you do in class isn't affected no. by technology. I mean, I, in my personal classes... It's not affected at all. Right. Um, in my field, however, uh, what Ben does and what um, Robin Christian McNair now and Anne Louise Wolf this year, what dialect coaching, that world really has changed and been hugely informed by technology, I think, in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, Other than disbursement of samples, what, there, how is it affected? Uh, Ben sends notes to people in MP3 form, so they hear him making the correction and talking right. about what it is. It's very, very clear. Um, and they can listen to those on the subway on the listen, way to yeah, exactly, rehearsal. Exactly, exactly. So there's, that's an area. Anne Louise has a, um, a, a an electronic version of the Longman Pronunciation Dictionary that she uses. So there, there are ways in which that's right. helpful. And there are some cool interactive Shakespeare apps and things like that, but to me... But that, you're wary. Well, no, I'm not wary. I'm not wary. They're, they're amusing and interesting, and if I can use right. them um, as a way to get somebody interested or as a way to, to right. point up something that we're discussing, great. But it's not the thing. 
Right. It's not the experience. It's not the encounter with the language. It's not the encounter with yourself and your voice and in right. your body. At the beginning of Shakespeare class, you always say, at least you say you always say, and I always take you at your word, is that uh, if you want to discuss the authorship question, you're welcome to make an appointment with you and discuss it with you in private, but it's not to be used. Yeah. Class time. And I actually don't say that anymore. You don't? Because um, uh, a few years ago when the movie Anonymous came out, there was a big... um, I was here. That was the year I was here. So do you remember that I sent out... the second year, I I sent out a chapter from Bill Bryson's biography of Shakespeare for everybody to read. Yeah, I still have it. So, you know, I... I, um, I now spend a little more time... In class, talking, talking about, about it? that, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did you find before that people would make that appointment? Nobody ever has. No, you made the offer, and they were like, "Yeah, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to sit in the room with her and, and have that discussion. No, because I'm not prepared, and I know <laughs> I'm not prepared, and it would just be sad. You know, and there are some very great and gifted people who. Um, will argue that William Shakespeare is not the author of the plays of William Shakespeare. And I understand that. And those people and I are at a point of disagreement. Right. Like, you're correct and they're not. That's how I feel about it. You don't have to say that, being I mean, one of those two groups. You know, I, I look at the evidence and... Just to take one example, nobody worried about whether or not William Shakespeare wrote the plays of William Shakespeare for 200 years after his death. Right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, and then once we started they were to great. worry about it. And right. One of the things you said once in class that I don't know why it always stuck with me. It's just a, such a profound thought. And you said the thing that offended you most about the idea of people thinking that was that the big argument is no one person could have done all of that great stuff. Yeah. And and what a sad place yeah. to start an argument from. Yeah. That either no one person could have done all of that or the idea, and I remember a, a Shakespeare professor that I had when I was in college at NYU who was a, a terrific Shakespeare scholar. Um, and I remember him saying that the thing that offended him about the argument was that it was essentially an elitist argument saying somebody like that, somebody with that level of education couldn't have done this. Right. And that really stuck with me. Yeah. And the more, you know, the more I read around and the more I look at it, the more I, and the more I, also the more I read around and the more that I learn, the more I realize that Shakespeare's education was, um, quite good for the time, mm-hmm. most likely. Right. And uh, no, he didn't go on to university like Marlowe, but we have lots of people. I mean, the example that I use now, I don't know if I used this when you were in class, but is that Steve Jobs was born the same year I was born. Right. Right. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and I were all born in 1954. And um, those two guys didn't finish college. And it's kind of like saying Steve Jobs, 
you know, in 500 years, people saying, well, he couldn't have invented all that stuff and done. And I mean, the man right. changed the world. Right. And he had sort of one official semester of college and then sat in on some classes. Right. And then went in the garage with Steve and they came out with, you know. Yeah. It, so it's it's. That's kind of the argument. No, totally. That because I went to college, I should be the person to be able to change. It's, there's something a little... That's why I went to the school, was because I felt like the argument being made by this place was both by the faculty that it employed, the students that it accepted, and the way that the classes were structured said something about what they believed about education. Right. And that would, it was about an experience right. and life, right. and, and an experience right. in life, and... It's not just about a piece of paper or mm-hmm. the title on the place. Most people don't even know this place exists. Mm-hmm. And it produces some of the most spectacular people who change yeah. the world all the time. Uh, you know, I graduated in the lowest fifth of my graduating high school class. Not, you know, not looking like someone who's going to do anything but just burn out and be forgotten about. But just because it didn't suit me. Exactly. And this place did. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think you make a good point. And you were able to blossom here yeah, yeah absolutely yeah well thanks for talking to me mary you're very welcome this was rob really great I thanks had a good time. for inviting me it was fun well that is going to bring this episode to a close what a lovely lovely woman she is i adore her she's a dear friend and colleague stay tuned for more and be sure to give to the bandits on the run kickstarter so i've been reading about nameless things don't ask me what they are Nietzsche does